The uh, theme for this afternoon talk is the significance of the middle way. 2,600 years ago, Gautama Siddhartha, recently uh, awakened, made the walk from Bodh Gaya in Bihar, North India, for around 200 kilometers through to Saranath. Saranath is several kilometers outside Varanasi, the world's um, oldest uh, pilgrimage center. And in the village of uh, Saranath, the yogis would stay. Uh, They're engaging in a variety of uh, rather austere practices. <coughs> Meeting with his uh, friends there in uh, uh, Saranath, uh, he gave a talk. The general thread and theme of the talk is of extreme relevance for hum human beings far and wide. And the core feature of it is the observation through uh, experience and uh, clarity that all too frequently human beings are engaged in two extreme forms of activity. And one of those is the affirmation, self-obsession, the building up of oneself. The identity, the holding on to the self to build it up. And this activity preoccupies our hearts, minds, lives, year in, <coughs> pardon me, and year out. And the other, which is the swing in the opposite direction, human beings are frequently engaged in putting ourselves down. The rejection, self-rejection, uh, the blame, the fault-finding, the feeling not being good enough. So the outcome of that is that there is a swinging, so to speak, backwards and forwards between try to, build it, try to build ourselves up into the field of self-importance and finding ourselves struggling and dif with difficulty through the putting of ourselves down. The middle way is the radical, fresh alternative to living in those extremes. So the body of that teaching which flowed on afterwards keeps faith with that. And that's what I'd like to speak to you uh, a little bit uh, during the course of this uh, talk. <clears throat> in relationship to this uh, uh, exp exploration of the middle way, there are a variety of ways that uh, this can be uh, addressed. And sometimes, um, in the culture that we live in, we live in a variety of polarities, fragmentations, distortions of the perception, in which, as I mentioned, we swing backwards and forward between one way or the other. This leaves us with little peace of mind, little wisdom and little clarity. So first let's just address for a few moments... The, the building of ourselves uh, uh, up. There is a very strong encouragement in the society to, towards this. It shows a lack of clarity and wisdom, if I may say. And the way that we uh, do that uh, so often is we engage in activities. The self has a strong investment in the outcome of those uh, activities. And the intentionality behind uh, all of that is that which we do, that which we 
uh, engage in. It's important for us, yes, it's important we feel for uh, others and there is a wish for the affirmation. There is a wish for the outcome of this to provide us with a sense that we are somebody and we are important uh, there. But this view also carries with it, it's not clean, it often carries with it other intentionalities. We need proof, we need confirmation that we are successful. We need confirmation that we have achieved and accomplished something. And the way that we do that in the material uh, world and in uh, society is through two primary ways. One of those ways to accumulate the sense of being self-important is of course the affirmation of other people. We are reliant on her or his, their view of us and that helps us to feel good about ourselves that we have achieved and we have accomplished. But in an obsessive and rather mentally ill society that we are living in, that there is so much comparison, there is so much competitiveness there, that others will reject others in order to feel good about themselves. And so the reaching out and the dependency on other women and men on this earth for confirmation and affirmation is uh, risky. It leaves us very, very vulnerable. And that vulnerability either comes through the person rejecting what we say or what we do or the way we are, or the person shows no interest, they withdraw from us, they pull out their energies uh, from us, and of course we're dissatisfied with that because we're not getting that affirmation, that confirmation, that appreciation that we so desperately seek. What a way to live. What a way to live, dependent on the states of mind of others for us to feel good about ourselves. Is it any wonder there is depression? Is it any wonder there is unhappiness, confusion, feelings of failure, uh, dissatisfaction, when the consciousness, as it were, you, me or other, is leaning, doing things in order to receive, in order to get something back? And in that movement, it's still not clean. Because in that movement that goes on with that, for some, may not be here, but uh, all too uh, often, is the intention with that movement to get affirmation. A proof of it is in materialism. Consumerism um, essentially is for those people who essentially have actual lack of self-worth. They do not feel good about themselves. And the outcome of that, the only way to do it is to have more. It's the means to, f- to fill the gap inside of oneself that one is somebody by more possession and more ownership. That gap cannot be filled, uh, obviously, through that and one only has to dig a little bit into the privileged, wealthy uh, elite and into the middle classes and others and to, to see, well, the dissatisfaction, the stress, the unhappiness, and the accumulation of goods uh, and the uh, uh, acquisition of them um, around one, oneself will not make a human being feel good. But we've, we've been sold this package. 
the, the intensity of the individualism of the propaganda to make us feel good by being somebody, by being rich, by having more, is so intense that when youngsters, teenagers in the West were asked what is it they most want in life and the answer was primarily 87% to be rich. This is the level of mental sickness. And no offer is is, uh, no exploration, no understanding in the culture, very little, of what the middle way is. And is it any wonder that those intent on career, intent on money, intent on ownership, intent of the approval for others, keep finding again and again the doubts coming in. Keep finding at the other end of the spectrum, so to speak, that there is a feeling of failure, not being good enough, uh, should try harder, should do more, and then I can be successful. And parents are contributing to destroying the lives of their children with this ideology. Parents have to have a really rethink, as well as us as adults, a real re-examination of what is the core messages I'm putting out to these uh, children and have I bought in naively and foolishly into the idea and the model of what success is. It ain't no success. And that swing can be so severe, that means on the end of the lack lack of self-worth and and the despair and the unhappiness which can come for some people. It can be so severe for uh, for people, both younger and uh, older people. It leads leads to chronic anxiety, chronic self-doubt, lack of self-worth, sometimes to self-harming, suicidal thoughts and more. So somewhere between this affirmation of the self and the rejection of it and thinking one is going to resolve the other, somewhere we have to find the middle ground and the middle way between these two there. It's an immense undertaking, of course it is, but what we're being offered is not working. It is simply not working. And the whole system is based on this winners and losers, success and failure, those who are better off and those who are worse off. Whoa, whoa. It's going to need a lot of questioning, a lot of inquiry, a lot of inner and outer change, because it cannot go on on, on this uh, um, medieval way of thinking there. And sometimes there's... The privilege and the pleasure in and joys uh, uh, in in life with where those affirmations and put, building oneself putting oneself uh, down we finding and have connection with people have another way of being and perhaps possibly there is the opportunity to really learn from uh, uh, such people and uh, in a whole variety of situations. When we look to ourselves here, the vigilant aspect uh, here, as always, with the self, and um, in the uh, uh, Western language we might call it um, uh, ego, and sometimes we think of ego as 
um, inflating our self-importance as a kind of definition of uh, ego. But in the uh, ancient ancient teachings, it is just as much ego in putting oneself down as building oneself up. And the Pali or Sanskrit word, in this case, rather... Uh, expresses that rather precisely and the word is aham which is I, kara, activity so the frequency of thinking and the frequency of use of the language of I there is aham kara, therefore it is ego building and this relationship or this activity of uh, ego building as I say Putting things up, it doesn't take much. It's like a house of cards, the building up. Take one card out and the whole thing can collapse. You can have the best job in the world, the best partnership in the world. You can have the best health in in the world. It only takes a moment. It only takes no from somebody else. It only takes a small change in one's physical uh, sickness circumstance, sickness circumstances, and all that one has cherished and held and built up, suddenly, whoa! There's the crash. Doesn't take much. It's a vulnerable world in. It's not a picnic. And therefore, in that which we engage in, and we have the opportunity here to engage in some valuable and important reflection. This valuable and, and important uh, uh, reflection. One aspect of this would be to recognize and acknowledge where at this time in my life is the m- most frequent use of the concept of I. Just to start with that. Where in my life is the most frequent use of the concept of I? And that may be in just one or two areas. Quite often, the, the area, understandably, humanly enough, will be around a particular role. You're a mother, you're a father, you're a brother, you're a sister, you're family members, or whatever. So the I may, for some, engage a great deal uh, in that. That also, in the I when it's under pressure, cannot see clearly, it's not a chance of it seeing clearly, so it can be, I'm taking the family dynamic for the moment, it can be that the eye is under pressure. And when it is under pressure, the eye has, will have in it somewhere some desire. It has to. And the desire, that means the wanting, could be the wanting for him or her or us or whatever to be different from the way that it is. The pressure, I want you to change, I want you to be different, you are making the family life difficult or whatever it might be, or, uh, or it might be in the workplace or whatever. So the self, under the pressure, which is called the wanting, called the desiring, the needing, uh, the craving, generates the pressure. And the pressure can land on the others. It can land on the children, it can land on the partner, it can land on the neighbours, or work colleagues, or whatever. We really need to notice the eye where, where it is under pressure and it is demanding. There is no wisdom in it. 
It's, a, it's control. It's unhappy for the person who is on the receiving end of these demands which can go on and on. And the ego, that's the eye-making activity, very easily we have the view in the eye-making activity, I am right. That is arrogance. It's more than conceit, it's arrogance. And we can't listen, we can't connect, there is a lack of empathy for the other because one is holding to the view, I know I am right. And that message, no matter what the content is, one might be technically, psychologically, mentally interpreting it correctly, but the self, with the pressure, with the demand that's going, even if, even if it's, as it were, right what you and I say, the pressure and the demand on the other, that is what will be the residue impression. You, can, you and I, we can speak to the cows come home uh, in terms of stating facts. Facts are in, clearly, they're important, but they are only effective when love and clarity and empathy is carried with them. But when they're carried with this ego, with this wanting uh, mind, is, there is it surprising that the person does not want to listen anymore and leaves you. They're fed up with your facts. <laughs> and therefore the heartfulness, the communications uh, there. And just on, the, on, the, on a side uh, uh, note, <coughs> there is much conversations uh, 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 going on with uh, women and men friends uh, in the Sangha <coughs> for some uh, people about the actually about the ethics of bringing babies uh, into this uh, into this world and in some of the sharings and community uh, communications I'm speaking here as the teacher and as the father uh, as uh, as well that there are two uh, kind of explorations um, um, uh, in this area personally I regard both as uh, uh, valid and important so there are uh, people uh, women and men whose heart and whose biology genuinely wishes to bring a baby and uh, children into the world and it's a beautiful uh, expression of our uh, love for life and to, to bring human life into this vast field of existence in spite of all that we know in terms of numbers and resources and so forth but it will require from parents with children from all of us with grandchildren from all, all, all of us completely fresh ways of what it is to be a parent we may we may have some insights and benefits from our parents we may and what I mean by that we can reflect on the past when we are here we can see uh, with the love and gratitude and appreciation for the sacrifices and the services that our parents may may have given to us and which nourished our being uh, there and that's valuable we may also recognize shall we call it 
politely the weak spots of our uh, parents. We have the opportunity to reflect uh, on this. And the outcome uh, of all of that which was unsatisfactory, which uh, wasn't healthy, wasn't wise or skillful, there is some resolve to change. And therefore some of us looked at our parents, we saw what we appreciated, we we recognised and remembered what we didn't, and we quietly made the resolve for something different. But it's still not enough. It's still not enough, even if one's pretty clear about the, uh, the old. We're still trying to find some clear middle ground. And what I mean by that in this case is that we look at this world around us and there is unsatisfactory, undue pressure of control over the children. And this is going to require parents to actually give support and care for, for the children and to find, nourish their play, their freedom, their joy to life because, their parent, because our children are being taken over by the system. And more, more and more constraint into the classroom, less and less play. I don't know how it is here, but just last week, my uh, uh, two grandchildren, one age 10, one age 12, with uh, uh, the father, co-parenting, my daughter's the primary parent, and the, the father takes the children, and a uh, lovely guy, are going off on December the uh, 12th, for eight days, seven or eight days, to uh, uh, Egypt for a, a holiday uh, there. Because the two children are going out of school for that period of time, the, both parents are being fined £60 each per week per child. That £60 is $120. The school is fining them for taking the children out to have a break to be with their father and his other son from uh, uh, his second family. Uh, there. So it's just the father, full week, great week for the three kids, with their dad in Egypt, and they're, and, they, and they're fined for it. That's how rotten the system is. And similarly, when I brought my grandson here to Australia, he was about their age, around about 10 um, uh, year, year, years of age this is uh, several uh, years ago it was the same uh, situation there and it took a lot of work to ensure because I said he's coming for four weeks and, and the head said he, he cannot leave this school for four weeks and I said oh yes he can not only can he, he will you don't have any choice about it the mother has agreed I have agreed father's oh, okay and, and we're going it was a transformative, he still says, my grandson, now 19 in January, it was a transformative experience of, of his whole life was the weeks here in Australia. It just opened up his world there. And he still speaks of it as the most important. And the school wanted to deprive him of the opportunity. Tragic tragic this system is keeping them in the classroom morning, noon and night and the blindness of the opportunity to find that not to have a holiday for pleasure not to be trapped in the classroom and all the confinement of it but a middle ground of exploration 
middle ground to, to, for the experience of being in the forest and uh, being out in the, in, the, in the nature and listening to the teachings. <clears throat> and I remember we were, just very quickly here, we were in Yarrahapani and some of the men and women knew the forest well. They were taking the, the youngster out kangaroo hunting which they found and snakes and wallabies and, uh, and possums and uh, etc. And the boy just had his eyes opened with all of this and he's seen his um, uh, uh, granddad with the talks. So we were in a rather large place called Yarrahapani. Some of you may have been there uh, with us uh, several years ago. So he said, I really want to thank everybody for all the kindness that was offered. And I said, yes, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he walked over, and then, then, he, then he said, um, oh, Granddad, where's the microphone? You know, a certain confidence. And when he'd finished, we have it recorded, and when he'd finished speaking, he said, any questions? <laughs> <laughs> I thought, that's my grandson. <laughs> So sometimes in the dynamics of life we, we find something not about ego, building ourselves, putting ourselves down, is actually finding genuinely some middle ground. Of course, as I mentioned before, it's not always easy there. And just with the going back to the point with the, the parenting role, some of my friends, women and men uh, uh, friends, said we have made the, the decision uh, there that not to have children there and our intention is to bring more love into the world so there are some who as parents as mothers and uh, fathers have that intention to bring more love into the world and, and the children and to find ways for their happiness their play, their joyfulness the, the vibrancy of their uh, life and to really in, endorse and encourage that and others are making the decision it's a conscious uh, decision there to bring love into the world and just to make that uh, primary without being parents and a credit to both in the exploration <coughs> pardon me in the exploration of of this uh, middle ground and middle way there are other ways as well that we can uh, uh, look at it. Not so much in the extremes, but in the practicalities here. What I have in mind, we could say, the middle way is the living present, and to one side of the living present is the past, and the other side of it is the future. So we, we, could, we, could, we could regard that with the freedom to explore the relationship to what was, and the relationship to what might be and that relationship in this case uh, to what uh, uh, what was is the ability to recognize what we see and appreciate and to draw on the wealth of experience that we have in a whole variety of areas it's so valuable at times we, we our life is so much so often kind of moving on from things to the next things so quickly, we might be missing the opportunity, not for nostalgia purposes, but just to look back and say, okay, what did I learn from this? What were the insights? What can I draw from this experience to bring into the next experience? 
Because if we don't, we miss an opportunity for some real learning, or we haven't moved on from, and in not moving on from a a situation, we will drag it along with us. For sure, we'll drag it along. If it's not resolved, it will drag along. Put it in the Eastern language, it will have its karmic consequences there. So it's quite a task to be reasonably well grounded and centred in the present. Regard that, shall we say, as a feature of the middle way, with the freedom to look to yesterday uh, and to tomorrow. Yeah. <coughs> have a sip of the old water. I was enjoying as uh, at the three fifteen, three twenty-five time, the standing on the uh, veranda outside my room there, and one of the good uh, team or staff uh, here at Sanctuary has put a, a bath bowl, and the birds would uh, uh, come on the bath and just look in, and then head first. Well, it's only a small bowl. Head first, we're diving in. Uh, there. Pulling your head out. Wow, this is great. Diving in again. Did it, did, did it several times. There. Then this bird went, and went on the branch and shaking the body and, and letting the sun dry the body. Then another bird spotted, hey, that looks pretty good. And another bird would come and land and... and and do, do the same kind of uh, process. These things, these beautiful moments, we cannot buy. They are the gifts out of the nature. We've got to keep our eyes and ears open. And if our life can be receptive to the uh, countless uh, situations which touch us with uh, joy, such as those uh, small experiences, that consumerism is going to diminish so much in, in importance because we realise it's not any kind of substitute for the natural joys of life and that we find and that is an expression of the middle way it comes to us it's like a, like a, a gift of the gods some might say and to be touched and to be receptive to that and so that our, the pleasures of life nourishing food, the music, uh, the variety of sights, certain comforts and, and, and things. We can acknowledge and appreciate them. Of course, there's lot, much of the pleasure of life to re- uh, recognise, but we know there is no demand for it at all. We know much happiness can be without the demand on things and goods and money and success or whatever. It's just not the priority because something else is uh, valid and insightful for us. In the exploration of this uh, um, area uh, uh, of of the middle way, quite often with the inner and the outer for uh, a moment or, or two, in a way... Because the, uh, the culture, the society, is a worldwide phenomenon, of course, of, <coughs> of the duality. The duality. 
And in this case, the duality is the separation of one thing from the other. It is a primary constant viewpoint. So, in the, in it as a primary constant viewpoint, as they say, as you get off the underground train in London, mind the gap. That's the best thing that's ever come out of London Underground. <laughs> mind the gap. So, the idea, I don't buy the idea, but the idea, um, that everybody is the same, uh, to me, it's such a, a blanket stereotype kind of image it just doesn't sit well uh, and it tends to avoid uh, or neglect the value of all the diversity the idea as well that uh, we are all one genuinely can be helpful uh, experiences can help to lower the ego we have a sense of the oneness of life. I would put that valuable and, and important as it is as one of the modest stepping stones to deep realization, but it's not the ultimate truth of things. And so we may have these experiences of the gap, the big separations between us, between the nation state and the other, between families, uh, with the person who is close to us, there is the gap there mind the gap and what that means in this particular case of minding the, uh, uh, the gap human beings sometimes we r require space around us there's a gap, there is a, the space there can be real appreciation for that space which is with us and between, uh, between us so there is a sense it's only a sense there's no ultimate truth in it of the self and the other, and there is some space. The poet Rilke, bless him, in his letters to the young poet, speaking of this, asked the young poet a very deep and profound question. Can we love the space between us? Can we love the space between us. So, in the relationship, this is called the self to the other, me and the other, whatever uh, that may be, we know when the gap is got too wide because of the suffering in the mind. There is a gap. We're not all the same. We're not all one. It's not like Life is not like that useful experiences but it's not the deep truth of things so in the, 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 the gap plenty of times we can love the gap uh, 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 there we say we give each other the space there there's kindness and empathy we're not blaming or attacking we're not withdrawing we know we're not the same there's much to be shared and it's appropriate to find that gap. In that gap, the other, one person, the partner, may say, um, I really need to go on a retreat. So 
the gap's a bit bigger for a while, but it's only a time and space gap. And, and the partner says, "Oh, please go, please go. <laughs> I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pay your fare, <laughs> whatever. I'll give the dana, whatever, <laughs> etc." So there's an appreciation uh, which is there, and the exploration of relationships there. One aspect of that is appreciation there and it's a middle ground so it's not so controlling to give one another more space and to recognize the differences there to be very supportive in the caring kind of way it is precious it is important but when the gap is growing due to the reaction of oneself to the other that's when one really minds the gap and that can show itself, as mentioned, with blame and negativity, with uh, fear and uh, resentment, with disinterest and coldness and much, much more. And that gap, when that begins to widen, the image of the other and her or his or their image of oneself The communication between two people in the real world has stopped. And it's been replaced with a false world, and the false world is relating to the image of each other. The picture we have of each other, the idea of who the other is. And we think and we believe that we are relating to the real of the other. We're not. We're relating to the stereotype or the image or the idea or the belief of the other and the middle way is grounded in the real in the authentic and that would mean for us as an exploration if let's say you have a difficult conversation with a with a another uh, it's hard to imagine going through life without difficult conversations if 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 you know anybody who's gone through life without a difficult conversation, please send them to me. I'll be on my knees bowing in front of them, uh, etc. So life embraces the difficult. Uh, there can be the Buddhas of the Buddha. You still have difficult conversations. This is life. You know, this, as I said yesterday, get real about it. And there's no room for the romanticism uh, in all, all of this. So what I have in mind here is you have a difficult conversation doesn't matter who it is and the conversation takes place and at some point it comes to its end the ending of the conversation is as and the moments afterwards is as significant and as critical as the communication itself Because at the end of it, it will leave the residue of an impression. And that, what is that impression? And if that impression has ego in it, that means holding, desire, fixed view, and shaping the mind, as it were, around that view, that impression will be carried And when you meet her or him again the next time, you will not be able to see the person. All that will be seen is the arising of the memory of the image of what this person is like. And so much 
may have gone on in that person's life between uh, now and then that person may still be the same but the image lands upon gets in the way in the view of the other and they probably pick it up they will probably feel judged before they've even opened their mouth and there will be a contraction carrying around a picture image of uh, the other is living in self-image middle way is free from those extremisms and as I say it's a real practice taking the small example a difficult conversation can I just quietly breathe in and out when it's finished not hold to that picture and image not decide this is who the person is and therefore remember this is what happened in the communication today so that there is space again which then allows keeping in touch with the authentic and the real to move uh, and be receptive and possibly no guarantee of course of a communication with the other so always with the middle way swatching ego building up and putting down giving a little extra care and attention to today while respectful to yesterday and tomorrow it's an exploration in the interests of the self and other and finding that space that space is the middle way between the extremes of self and uh, other to feel the space and sometimes in a communication with the other if we can just remember to see the space around her and him have some space around the, uh, them and engage in such a way that the lis- listening power uh, is really present and there is a real sense that there is a space there for the listening in one of the well known um, communications it's worth bearing rather insight for one this is with regard to the Buddha but just before um, uh, I'll mention that nothing that in the in the world of suffering I'm just talking about it, everyday issues problems and unre, un, unresolved in the everyday circumstances which is where this is applying there are some who will say this unhappiness this anxiety this worry this depression this agitation or whatever it might be about I have brought it upon myself and some will hold to that viewpoint and sometimes that viewpoint is strongly put out uh, there don't buy it it's a myth the self is still in its conceited form I create my own suffering I brought it upon myself self can't do that so then some will say oh no it's not me it's her or him or whatever and they make me suffer they make me unhappy they make me worried they make me anxious it's their behavior and this is having such an impact so it can shift from oneself to the other and therefore make the other uh, uh, responsible and it's all part of the regularity and the frequency of the story 
and the regularity and the frequency of this story has generated every act of violence and war and abuse on this world through a single belief system that you cause me suffering I cause myself suffering or sometimes we both have caused it we're both responsible and then that becomes another formation of the view and there's some, sometimes some maturity and wisdom we've made our life difficult for each other etc whatever that might be then the fourth I'm t- speaking from the conversation that the, the, the Buddha had with the uh, yogi on this and the fourth one is the attempt to take it out of the field of uh, responsibility so to speak of oneself other or both and then it moves into the uh, metaphysics the metaphysics well in the generalized language oh it's just karma um, um, it's the will of God another one it's our fate it's destiny it was just meant to happen it's just life so these lovely oh it it was uh, accidental there it was destiny so so these kind of uh, views easily get produced because it's difficult uh, to say self other both or neither these are the four possibilities so then the yogi, yogi obviously said well if it's not self, other, both or neither there's still suffering what's generating it and if through not putting it into the box of the self or the big self G-O-D and, and all the other ones uh, there it is a not seeing it is an, a not understanding not being aware of no self that means no person is to be blamed and attacked for this there and if we with some humility in our life where there is an issue or a conflict and we don't want to be in the extremes it's you or me or both in those then we want to look and explore what the middle ground is to all of this what is it we don't understand what is it that isn't being seen because it's very very easy to blame the other or blame the self and if we keep the self and blame out of the picture uh, there's some opportunity to look in really in a fresh way really fresh way because we're not conditioned we see the falseness of this self-other as a kind of extreme standpoint to, to take and that then once again can open up the space for a completely fresh way of looking so just because we want to understand something not blame <coughs> water, water, water alright time's rolling, rolling by here <laughs> In some situations, 
when we have an experience and sense of kind of swinging backwards and, and uh, forwards between things and one of the extremes once again and you, you know it's an extreme it's very simple when a situation is yes or no and you can't make your mind up it's yes or no and you can't make your <coughs> you can't make your mind up it's called a nightmare and and therefore there is a, a fragmentation in the being Yes, I should say yes to this, but maybe I shouldn't, and I should say no. And there is a movement in the extremes, which is an imprisonment of the being, to either of these views, and of course it can be paralyzing, I can't make up my mind. And then you make the awful mistake of asking your friends, for advice and then comes out the tragedy of the first words which is another myth if I were you well you're not but anyway <laughs> if I were you I would and, and sometimes the friend uh, I don't know why we even call them friends but the, <laughs> the, 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 the friend uh, there then offers another possibility which is tragic because it was bad enough with two ideas in conflict now there are three so then you go and ask another friend you, you might end up completely confused it was bad enough too now it's up to five or six uh, etc and one thinks this is another part of the mythology um, I have to choose the eye just loves itself so much. I have to choose. I have to make a decision there. The very pressure, I have to choose, I have to make a, a decision. That <coughs> pressure, when the pressure drops, there, it will swing over to the, the opposite kind of view. It has to. I'm really pushing myself. I really should de decide this. I think it should be this. And then, yes, I go to bed at night, I've made up, my, made up my mind, I'm going to do this or I'm not going to do it, whatever it is. And you wake up in the morning, and the old view is back with a vengeance. And there's in this polarity of, of the view, I should or I shouldn't. There. What's going on inwardly? The idea of choice is essentially, I may say, take the view, is movement of mind more movement of mind more ideas of choice and we like the consumerism have been exploited to the nth degree to get our mind to keep moving to keep act, being active to create more choices and the world cannot take human beings we don't have the resources to fulfill all the choices that we keep producing there. So if, if choices reveals a tremendous amount of movement of mind and energy, memory, views and opinions going into those choices which keep feeding them and therefore the indecision, we might afterwards, in our 
ego in its claim. Well, I struggled with this one, you know, for a long time and couldn't make up my mind. But then suddenly I realized what I need to do, etc. It sounds one's really in control of the situation. <laughs> myth! Myth! Either one got so exhausted one just settled for one, <laughs> or one just thought that little bit more about one than the other, and that was the one that one took. Uh, but one doesn't want to say that to one's friends, that one's mind is all over the shop and one was too tired and so decided <laughs> to one. So one life coming from, well, you know, it was a struggle, but I came to a real resolution about this, <laughs> etc. Okay, I mean, we, we, have I touched a button over there? So no, no, no. Oh, the voice. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm English. You know, I, I hear this voice when I go back there. You know, it's you know, it's. You have to be a bodhisattva to live in Britain these days. All right, not that I'm claiming to be such. Anyway, so so sometimes. Uh, with all uh, uh, all of this, it's a different kind of way. Rather than trying to think it through because it's extremism, we want to be interested in what the middle way is with regard to that, and a contribution to that will be grounding, mindfulness, meditation, calmness of the being, and most important, not as an end, but to listen to the deep choices. Going backwards and forwards is superficial. It's not a reflection of the deep for us. And sometimes in the singularity of the deep, we will know what to do. And it does happen, and I hear it regularly enough, and a tremendous credit, those of you here and elsewhere, <coughs> of the <coughs> authenticity of struggle. I think there's a real valid place in life for struggle. I don't want us uh, to uh, dismiss uh, it. And sometimes it is a genuine di uh, struggle with events, the choice events and so forth. But it can be that in that dynamic, in that struggle, whatever, whatever it might be, that something of the deep, because things are shaken up so much, something of the deep comes through and out of that some authority comes. And sometimes the, 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 the struggle is fairly, fairly major. A very good friend of mine, Dharma teacher, a precious Dharma teacher, has cancer, severe cancer, life-threatening cancer. And he go, he's got access through the networks of, of friends to two of the finest um, oncologists available. One oncologist says to him, you have to continue taking the chemotherapy. You have to continue this uh, treatment. He's already lost most of his uh, pancreas, which is one of the most dangerous of the cancer. You have to continue with this treatment. Uh, uh, do not stop at this stage. The other oncologist, with great authority, very well respected, says you have to stop this treatment. It's killing you. You have to have a break from it. You've got two significant voices and your life is on the edge. That isn't easy to resolve. That isn't easy to say yes to this and no, and no, and no to that. And sometimes in life 
we can be right on the edge of those critical uh, uh, choices. And it takes some quiet authority with frequently stated uh, uh, reminder to all of us in life with the initiatives that we have, with the middle way that we have, nevertheless, we cannot guarantee the outcome. Whatever it might be about, we cannot be assured of the outcome of the consequences there. But we, we try to find the deep. We listen deeply. We're willing to struggle over our uh, decisions. They may well, in some cases, be superficial, but some may be very deep in the being. And we want to listen to the deep singularity of the voice. And it's remarkable with the depth of meditation and the depth of insight, how well we can live without choice. It's the deep which is doing the talking. It's the deep which is moving the being. And there's very little movement uh, with that, therefore, very little wavering backwards and forwards, either this or or that. And part of these, an essential feature, not part, an essential feature of the teaching is to listen to the deep and respond. And that response moves itself through the vastness of the middle way. It's worth staying with. Okay, thanks for lending an ear. Let's have a, a quiet moment or two, shall we? beings explore the middle way. May all beings appreciate the joys and insights can emerge from the expanse of the middle way. May all beings engage in the fullness of things. <coughs> 